You're listening to Worship Life Radio with Pastor Holland Davis of Calvary Chapel San Clemente on today's edition. And keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Everything belongs to the Lord. We're just managing it for Him. It's on loan to us. It doesn't belong to us. It's even crazy when you say, well, I own this land. Really? So did you create it out of nothing? Did you speak it into existence? Because that's the person that owns it. The one who created it. Did you ever loan something to someone who ended up thinking they owned it? What a mess trying to get it back. Did they ever give it back? In today's message, Pastor Holland reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and he is simply loaning it to us to manage. God created the earth out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. He owns it. We sometimes forget who ultimately owns our property, our house, or even all our stuff. Let's honor God by worshiping the creator of everything we see, hear, taste, and smell. Let's join Pastor Holland in the book of Numbers chapter 27 as he begins his message, The Most Important Thing About God. We're going to be in Numbers 27 today, and uh, I want to talk about the most important thing in life. And if I was to ask you that question, what is the most important thing in life, how would you answer? How would you answer that question, what is the most important thing? In a recent article, um, Katy Perry revealed that the most important thing in her life is her newborn baby. She just uh, had a baby, and that's the, her daughter. It's her, it's her whole life. Everything is wrapped up in taking care of this newborn daughter. And then A-Rod, who is uh, the fiancé of J-Lo, says that the most important thing in life for him is his new blended family. You know, he has two kids from a previous marriage, and J-Lo has twins. And so they've got this new, you know, blended family together. And then another survey I read said the top five most important things in life are health, right? We'd all say, yeah, that, I agree with that one. Health, family, which we would say that's important, friends, love, and purpose. Those are the five most important things in life. And those are all very good things. They're very important things, things that we should value highly and take great care and uh, pay attention to. But there's one thing missing in every single one of these lists. And that is the one thing that is most important to God. What does God say is the most important thing? And in Numbers 27, 28, Moses is coming to the end of his journey with Israel. He's finished up. They've wandered through the desert for 40 years. But he will not be allowed to enter into the promised land because of his own unbelief. Because he didn't trust God. He didn't believe God. It led him to misrepresent God in the, in the, uh, to Israel in the desert. And the sad commentary on this is found in Hebrews chapter 3, where it says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, 
but those who did not obey. And so we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Their unbelief kept them from entering into all that God had for them, for the promises of God. And notice here what unbelief led them to do. It led them to rebel. It led them to sin. It led them to not enter his rest. And it led them to not obey. Those are all things that happen when we don't trust God, when we don't believe God. Unbelief is the source of so many things that happen in our lives. And so unbelieving Israel never entered into the glorious, abundant life that God created for them to have, intended for them to have, including Moses. And Moses, facing the end of his journey, then turns to God and asks God to provide for Israel what Moses thinks Israel needs. This is the most important thing for Israel, according to Moses. And we read this in Numbers 27, verse 15. It says, Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, meaning the God who gives breath to all flesh or breath to all life, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep who have no shepherd. And so Moses looking at Israel in this time of transition where he is now going to step down as the leader looks to God and says, God, this is the most important thing that Israel needs right now. Israel needs a man to lead them. Set a man over the congregation. And this request gives us some insight into the heart of Moses. Remember, it was God who led the nation, not Moses. It was God that led them with the cloud by day and the fire by night. Moses didn't lead them. Moses was just following the leadership of God. Remember, it was God that was directing Moses as to what to say to the people. Moses didn't even think, oh, I should say this to everyone. The Lord came to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to tell the people this. It was God who defended Moses against his own family. When his own family came against him and said, hey, you know, who made you the boss? I'm your sister. I'm your older sister. I, I raised you. This isn't just the guy's club. And then later... God defended Moses and Aaron against those who brought legal action against them, saying they were unfit for office. And God was the one that defended them. But somewhere along the way, over the 40 years of Moses leading the nation of Israel, somewhere along the way, Moses began to take ownership for leading God's people, not as God's spokesman, but as God himself. And that's what got him into trouble when it came to the waters at Meribot where he struck the rock. Because he assumed wrongly that he felt things and God was feeling the same things that he was feeling. That God was just as angry at the people as he was. 
that God was just as frustrated as he was. And so instead of speaking to the rock as God told him to, he struck the rock. And as a result, he is not going to enter into the promised land. He presumed that he was the leader and not God. And so in his mind, it was natural for him to ask God to provide another man. It's a natural thing for us. It's a natural thing in our nation today to look at the freedoms we've enjoyed over the past four years and think, Lord, what we need is another man. Another man that will lead us in the right direction. That's the most important thing for America right now. We need another man over the congregation. But you see, God never intended for a man to lead Israel. If you remember, God said at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Everything belongs to the Lord. We're just managing it for him. It's on loan to us. It doesn't belong to us. It's even crazy when you say, well, I own this land. Really? So did you create it out of nothing? Did you speak it into existence? Because that's the person that owns it. The one who created it. And he says in verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Moses, this is what I want you to tell them. But notice here, God said, if you will indeed obey my voice. What's interesting about that word obey in both the Hebrew and the Greek is that that word obey can be translated to hear with attention or with interest or to listen to. And so there's always a connection between listening and obedience. If I listen to something, then I'm going to do what I've been listening to, but I've been told to do. I can't say that I've listened if I don't obey. They're always connected together. You know, I can't say that I'm obeying if I'm not listening. The two words are interchangeable in the scripture in terms of how they're translated. Now, most people think of hearing the word of God like the Peanuts character, the teacher, you know, where he's like, wah, 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 wah. You know, we hear God going, wah, 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 wah. Oh, I heard you, Lord. Wah, 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 wah. I heard the pastor, Lord. Wah, 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 wah. I heard the scriptures, Lord. But if you don't do what they say, then you haven't heard. You're not listening. That's what it alludes to in the scripture. But we can see God's intention. And that God's intention has always been to speak to the people directly. God wants to speak to you directly, to have a personal, direct uh, communication with every single person in this room. He's wanted that from the very beginning. That's what you were created for. That's what you were intended for. Worship Life Radio with Holland Davis will continue right after this. Hi, this is Holland Davis, and I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel in San Clemente. 
And I just want to take a moment and invite you to come and visit us at one of our Sunday morning services or to our midweek Bible study. Calvary Chapel San Clemente is a Jesus people community right here in the city of San Clemente, California. You know, we identify with our roots in the Jesus movement because that's where I came to Christ. And of course, that's where Calvary Chapel was born. When you come to our church, you're going to find a church that loves to worship the Lord with song. We love to study God's word verse by verse. And we love to share the love of God with other people. If that's the kind of church you're looking for, consider visiting us. You can find out all about us online at calvarysancomeni.org. We look forward to worshiping with you soon, and may God richly bless you. Now, let's continue with today's edition of Worship Life Radio. In constructing the Ark of the Covenant, God said in Exodus 25, You shall put the mercy seat on top of the Ark, and in the Ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you, and there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, which are on the Ark of the Testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. God says, I will meet with you and I will speak to you from above the mercy seat, which is a reference to Jesus. And uh, we've talked about that many times, about Jesus being our mercy seat. But at Mount Sinai, when the people witnessed the powerful presence of God, they saw God descend upon the mountain. And there was thundering and there was lightning flashes and there was the sound of a loud trumpet blast. And there was smoke. And I can imagine it was a terrifying experience to be a part of. It's interesting because the Bible says that the people saw it and they shook with fear. They trembled and then they stood afar off. But when you look at it in the Hebrew language, it literally means they saw it, they trembled, shook with fear, and they ran for their lives. That's how terrifying it was. Oftentimes, I think that our view of God is way too small. He's way more huger and bigger and more scary and terrifying than we could ever imagine. If we got the picture of God as he truly is, it would change how we live. Just that vision alone would change how we live, the conversations we have, the places we go, because we would see him like, oh, my goodness, that is really scary. Like the guy that came down the 100 foot wave. Do you know why he was able to do it? Because he wasn't looking behind him. He was only looking in front of him. He's like, and he's, I saw the interview. He's like, oh, bro, it was just a day at the office, man. It's like, dude, because you did not look behind you. If you looked behind you, you would have thought, I'm going to die. When they saw the vision of how powerful God was. And at the time, Moses defended God. He said, Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. He says, don't be afraid. And that word test is a a word we have to unpack because in the Hebrew, it doesn't mean like the kind of test you take when you're passing and failing. 
That's how we think of tests. You have a pass or a fail. And if you fail a test, how many of you heard this message? If you fail a test, God will send you around the mountain once again to learn that lesson all over. And, and you'll just keep going through that test until you finally learn your lesson. Then you move on to the next thing. That's a misinterpretation of this word. Because there's a second word that is translated test in the Hebrew. And it has to do with the opportunity to grow. That God gives you an opportunity to be elevated, to be lifted up. Everything that God does with us as people elevates us. It lifts us up. It draws us near to him and it expands us. It raises us up above the world and brings us into the heavenly things. And so God is giving an opportunity for the people to grow to have this supernatural experience and for this supernatural experience to be the primary thing that begins to guide their life, the thing that fills their eyes, the thing that begins to lead them so that when they're facing an enemy, they're going to look at that enemy and go, oh boy, I feel sorry for you because look at how powerful God is. I have seen the Lord. He's unbelievable. When you have that supernatural encounter with God, it fills your mind to the point where you go, you know what? You start walking towards that liquor store. You start walking towards that drug, ad, drug place where you buy. You start walking to, the, to that particular place that you go for whatever. And all of a sudden, you see this vision of the presence of God. You say, I'm not going there. That's death. He's life. Where are you going to go? I'm going to go to life. Because he's so big and so powerful. I spoke at David Trujillo's church, Calvary Chapel, South Los Angeles. And uh, I told you a couple of weeks ago about this shot caller that came to the Lord. And, and I got to meet him. Uh, so I took a picture with him. And um, the previous week I was there talking on the one world government. And he, he came to realize that, you know, Jesus is coming soon. And so he said, I'm going to turn. I'm getting out of the gang. I'm going to go ha have a meeting with him on on Sunday, and he had a meeting with them on Sunday, and uh, we saw him on Wednesday, and I asked, how did the meeting go? And he says, it went great. I said, I know it went great, because you're alive. Because you don't just, that's not a club you just step out of. It's not a club that you just say, hey, I don't want to pay dues anymore. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. There's only one way out, generally, and that's when you lose your life. It's the only way you get out of a club like that. And yet God had delivered this man out of that lifestyle. He made a commitment to Jesus, and now he's walking with the Lord. And so when I go to my friend David Trujillo's church, I know I've got at least one guy who's the most powerful guy in the neighborhood, and he's got my back. So I don't have to be afraid anymore. You see, when you know how big God is, you know that he's got your back. And you don't have to be afraid in this world anymore. But you see, when they were faced with the reality of God, the people said, no, he's too scary. We're going to die. And Moses, you're that man. You talk to him. We'll listen to you. You come and tell us what he says, and we'll do everything you tell us to do. And from that point forward, people have been looking for a man. A man to lead them. A man to guide them. A man to direct them. But somewhere along the line, Moses forgot the most important thing from God's perspective. And that is that God never wanted to work through a man. 
He always wanted to have a direct and personal relationship with Israel. And so Moses says, we need a man. He asked for a man. And look what kind of man Moses asked for. Someone who may go out before them and go in before them. In other words, God, give them someone that they can relate to. Someone that's one of them. Someone that isn't above them, doesn't rule over them, but lives with them. Someone that they can see. Someone that will be an example to them. You know, Jesus echoed this in Matthew 20. He said, uh, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, in God's economy, he's looking for leaders who are servants. That is a kind of leader that represents him. That's the kind of leader that represents God. We don't lord it over people. We don't exercise great authority over them. We don't tell them how to live their lives. We point them to Jesus. We lead them to Jesus. And so Moses was asking for a good thing. He's asking for someone that they're going to be able to connect with and hear from. But it wasn't the most important thing. It wasn't the thing that God considered most important. You know, I had someone recently talk to me and said that they were struggling with sin and, you know, they just didn't find enough accountability in a particular church. So they wanted to go to another church where they had more accountability. What I said to them is I said, what you really needed is more honesty. And he said, what do you mean I needed more honesty? I said, well, if we're going to be honest, right? If you're going to be honest about your situation, this is what you should have said. What you should have said is that you love your sin more than your family, more than your friends. You love your sin more than the people you're taking advantage of, the people that you're hurting. You love your sin more than you love God. And you have no intention of serving God. But you want to serve your sin because in your mind, your sin is what brings you life. And what they wanted is they wanted me as a pastor, as a spiritual leader to come alongside and say, hey, don't do that. And if you do that, I'm going to spank you. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to make you feel guilty. I actually had someone tell me that one time. They said, you know, when I come to church, I expect to get a little spanking, you know, and get kind of put back in line so I can go back in the world. And I'm going to mess up again and then I'll come back and you can put me back in line again. And I'm, that's, there's a name for that. It's called insanity. That's a crazy thing. You know, that's a crazy thing to want from someone. It's like, hurts me so good. Um, so bad. Friends, thank you for listening to the program today. You know, the statistics on life are quite staggering. It's been said that one out of every one person is going to die. And on that day, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be ready to meet God? 
Well, you can be ready. You can have that assurance that your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven by praying a simple prayer and mean it with all your heart to say, Lord Jesus, I want to be ready to meet you. I surrender my life to you. Forgive me for all my sins and wash me clean of all the wickedness I've done. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the power to live for you all the days of my life. And if you've prayed that prayer with me right now, I can tell you with full assurance that you are going to be in heaven. Thanks for tuning in today to Worship Life Radio with Pastor Holland Davis. You've been listening to just one message in a series through the book of Numbers. Isn't it interesting that God gave the Israelites a chance to spy out the land, showing them the promise and the blessing that he would give them? But the people became fearful of the enemy. The truth is, it's easy to get stuck in that mode nowadays as well. God promises blessing for his followers, but it's easy to get bogged down by the things that look hard to overcome. The examples you read about in the Bible are a guide to help you learn from their mistakes. Don't let fear and doubt crowd your mind and heart. Let God's courage and strength ignite a drive to do the things God's called you to do, like Joshua and Caleb did. If you've been enjoying these messages and you live in the San Clemente area, why not join us in person to hear more? You can join us this weekend for church. We have services every Sunday and Thursday where we dig into the Bible together and spend time getting to know one another in deeper, more meaningful ways. Just visit calvarysanclemente.org for service times and directions. You can also be a part of our services virtually. We're streaming through YouTube and Facebook Live as well as on our website. Again, you'll find those links at calvarysanclemente.org. That's all we have time for today, but we do look forward to the next edition as Pastor Holland continues on in the book of Numbers, right here on Worship Life Radio. Have you ever wondered what it means to be saved? What are you saved from? Is salvation only about going to heaven? Pastor Holland's message series, So Great a Salvation, will answer these questions and help you discover the rich, abundant life salvation brings. Order your personal copy of So Great a Salvation at worshipliferadio.com.